Mass Fowler Johnson, and I'm a serial entrepreneur. Mass, welcome to the Cambridge Judge Entrepreneurship Centre podcast series today. Let's begin by asking you to give us a little bit of a rundown about your company. How did you begin and where did you begin? That's a great story. I, I started, I mean, I started building the first companies really from when I was a kid. I, I built a car rental company when I was in university. So I bought a bunch of old cars at auctions. So basically when companies were going bankrupt, I would go there and I would buy like a van from them. And then I rented out these vans by putting up posters in the supermarkets um, saying that they could rent the vans cheap for me when they wanted to move, etc. And that was really how I got started with the first business. But the companies that I own today, I got started with in 2012. So I quit the job that I had before where I was a, a global partner in a company called Rocket Internet. And I started founding my own businesses. So I, I have founded businesses now in five areas, in financial services, in professional services, in education and conference networking in food and beverage, and now we're going into real estate as well. So which of those projects was the one you cut your teeth on? You said you left your original company, but why? And how did you get this, could I call it, bug for entrepreneurship? I I, I guess the bug for entrepreneurship for me, if I had to start with that, is is really about creating. So I call it creationism, the idea of creating. and, And I feel like I can create through building a company, but I can also create through the people that I meet and how I help them to build the company in a better way, to make it more of a difference in the company that they build, make it more of a difference in the world, which is one of the reasons why I come to Cambridge to speak. It's only just because I, I, I try to make as much difference as I can in the world. Now, I wouldn't say there's one company I caught, uh, sort of uh, cut my teeth on. I feel like I, I'm doing that all the time with every new business that we build. Today, I own 10 companies or so that I control. I've been part of building over 20 companies over the last 10 years. Some of them have been sold for over a billion dollars. What I just love is the idea of coming up with an idea, executing on that, building it, working with fantastic people, and even seeing sometimes the companies that we own work together and creating new things, I think is fantastic. And would you call yourself a financial entrepreneur? Because you've got to know about the money side of business, haven't you? Yeah, look, I I wouldn't even really call myself an entrepreneur. I would call myself a recruiter. So everything that I have to do is through people. I don't sell anything. I don't usually raise the capital. I'm not usually the one who is doing the marketing. I'm not doing the development, et cetera. Every one of the businesses that I have today, I have a CEO and a management team and a full company that does all that work who are very, very smart people. And so I love, I love, there's a guy called Benjamin Sander who wrote a book that's called The Out of Possibility. Now, Benjamin is a conductor of the Boston Philharmonic, so one of the best orchestras in the world. And at one point in time, he's standing in, at the podium in front of his orchestra of 200 people. And he's realizing he's standing there that he's the only person out of 200 people who doesn't have a sound. And it's such a good analogy for being a leader in a business. Because if you're me or you're Benjamin Sander, you're running another business, you don't have a sound. That doesn't mean people can't hear you. They can hear Benjamin Sander because of the way he conducts through other people. They can see what I do through the people that I hire, the culture that I implement, the strategy that I help to set. But really what I have to do in everything that I do well and do wrong is you know, at the quality of the recruiting that I do. So I wouldn't call myself a financial entrepreneur. I call myself an, a recruiter. And my job is to find the right people, find the right business model, and that lo- those two things come together. And you clearly go into markets you don't know much about. So no. innovation and really destruction, because you're clearly taking on 
the big guys when you launch these yeah. smaller businesses. Yeah. We're living in an age of creative disruption. Yeah. So explain those two concepts to me of how you innovate through being a recruiter, but then you're also destroying yeah. other people's business models. Yeah, I mean, I guess the first thing to say is that as we've written in our book, I mean, 60% of all innovation comes from people who didn't work in the industry before. So it's very common to not know anything about what you're doing. In fact, nobody knows anything about what they know until they know it, right? So the idea that we're building companies in areas that we have no experience in is really common. A lot of people will look at something and say, well, I have no experience in this. I have no experience in that. But neither did the people who are building it today before they did. I, I love the saying that I found very useful now that I'm in my 30s. There's a good saying that says, in, in your 30s, you, you really think that you don't know anything. When you get to your 40s, you realize the others also don't know anything, <laughs> uh, which I think is a really good saying. I think the saying is, isn't it, in your 30s, you think you know everything. By the, to- <laughs> <laughs> I, I, by the time of your 40s, you realize that you don't. I'm super paranoid, so I, I'm, I'm probably the other way around. I feel like I don't know anything. I'm, I'm very, I'm, I doubt myself a lot. I try to make myself feel better by having the saying, if you're not paranoid, you don't have enough information. So I'm very paranoid. I'm very insecure, which is one of the reasons why I I work and I act the way that I do. And I think it's a good driver for me in many ways. But I guess coming back to your original question. So look, I innovate in, for example, in recruiting by the way that we select people. So we believe that people when finding them and recruiting them are three different things. We believe a person is a toolbox, which is his past experiences. It's his skills. It's what he's learned at Cambridge University. It's the marketing, it's the finance, it's the sales, whatever. Then we believe he's a hot, which is talents and psychology. So who is he really? How does he act? And then we believe his brain, which is IQ, which is how fast do you learn things? And so I find a lot of people do the opposite of us. A lot of people start with the skills, the toolbox. Start off by saying, look, we need him to be good at marketing or he needs to have this background or he needs to have that background. We actually start with psychology. So we start with the heart. We say, who do we want that person to be? Do we want it to be competitive? Do we want to be build, good at building connections? Do we want it to be good at empathy? Do we want it to be good at this or that? And I don't find it difficult to say all the things we want him to be good at. I find it difficult to say all the things he shouldn't be good at because you've got to prioritize those things. So that's the first thing we do about recruiting. The second thing we've done is we've actually built algorithms, actually built algorithms that predicts the successfulness of a candidate in our company. And what we've done is so we've, we've used these external test solutions of which one is called TT38, which is, I think, the best personality assessment tool out there. And on the background of that and our interviews, we are able to compute how likely we think this person is to be successful in the business. Do we think that algorithm is 100% correct? No, absolutely not. But what we do think is that by having an algorithmic approach to decision making, meaning basically you're trying to write down why you're making the decision you are, and then you're having a constructive, structured discussion around that. So that means instead of just saying, I like the guy, I don't like the guy, you're actually sitting and looking at a list of factors and you're letting those that list of factors compute whether or not you think that person should be hired. And if you feel like your gut feeling is telling you something different than the list, then either your gut feeling is wrong or you have to change the way you're computing whether or not this person should be hired. But that's an example of what we've done in recruiting. So really gone from gut feelings, which most companies do, and most companies have a tendency to hire themselves. People love themselves. They hire people who like them to really trying to make algorithmic decisions to hiring people. So you're not appointing in your own sameness, to borrow from Michelle Obama's new biography, which is out. But what are the key differences then between being as you say, a recruiter, an investor in a company, and actually developing a company from the grassroots up. You've changed what you do and your business model over the years. 
I, ha I have and I haven't. So my business model has always been, it's very important for people to understand, I'm not an investor. Every company that I have, except for one, I own because I founded the business. Now, I'm not the CEO of those businesses because I think there are people who are better at being the CEO than I am. So my job has always been to find people who are better at being the CEO than I am. For example, I'm horrible at having a Monday morning meeting every Monday at 9 o'clock. I'm not as structured as some idea people who are just running around with ideas. I can work 18 hours a day. I can be very analytical, but I'm bad at having too much system to what I do. I need a little bit of, un, I need a lot of unplanned parts in my life, unfortunately. So I think there are people who are better CEOs than I am. So what I try to do is I try to find a business model. That's the first thing that I do. The second thing that I try to do is to find the right person to build that company with. And then the third thing is if we need capital is I try to go out and find the capital for the business. And then I work together with the CEO every day to make sure we build the best business we can. And now I build companies with people who are graduated from university. But we've also started now something we call student founders. You can go to studentfounders.com and you can read more. But that's basically where we actually build companies with students who are in university. They don't have to have an idea. They don't have to have a team. We get everything to them. And we've built, we're building three companies this year so far with students at universities. Do you like to compare yourself with other founders of companies? Anything yes. in Silicon Valley, I won't mention Google or anything like that, but your drive, your enthusiasm, your passion for business, who would you liken yourself to? Look, first of all, I compare myself all the time, which is a horrible part of my personality. And I'm usually, you know, people, some people are very positive and optimistic and they'll compare themselves and say, I'm the greatest. I'm not like that. I compare myself and say, I'm much worse than them. So I was an event at one of our investors in, in Washington about a year ago. And I go into that room and there's other founders in there as well. And I, I leave that room thinking like I'm the dumbest person in the world. That's like, that's how my, my personality works. Look, I think there are a lot of people who are fantastic. I love Richard Branson for the variety of places that he's done business in. I like Elon Musk for the same. I like Elon Musk for his hard work ethic. I used to have a boss called Oliver Samware who founded Rocket Internet, who I think there's few people who are as focused on getting to the right point as he is. I think there's so many people to be inspired from. But look, I, I don't want to sound cliche, but I'm also extremely inspired by my mom who everybody loves, you know, and I'm not as good at being loved as she is. So I, I, there are so many inspirations for different parts of what, who you want to be and what you want to do. The business climate at the moment, you can clearly build these companies and you can disrupt the business models of others. But isn't it a particularly challenging time to be in business at the moment, particularly global businesses, because of rising nationalism, new regulations countries are bringing in? We're not in the same ballpark as we were 10 years ago when things were more stable. That's a good question. I, I'm, I'm not, I was 24th 10 years ago, so I'm not, I'm not sure I would know enough to, to have a good answer or 20 years ago, I would zero answer. Look, I think anything that's tough is tough for everyone. That's the good thing. And we're competing against other people, other people who have the same thing. I think it's challenging if other people have it easier. So if, if we're implementing regulation in our country, but in the country next door, they're not implementing regulation, right? If we're having capital constraints, but they don't have capital constraints in the country next door. But I think generally, look, everybody's competing on the same terms. So I think, yes, sometimes it's a better environment where it's easier to build, but it's also going to be easier for your competition. Sometimes it's a worse environment. I think it's fine now. I think, look, there's every opportunity in the world. I think if I had to say one thing that I think is scary or frightens me a bit, it's the monopolistic situation you're starting to have in certain industries facebook google amazon etc how can anyone compete against amazon how can anyone compete against google or facebook 
I think it's extremely scary, the scenarios we're getting out into. And as these platforms stop being just a search engine and they stop being just an e-commerce platform and they become more and more and more, we're actually starting to see more and more businesses being bought up very early by these giant companies. or even The fangs. The fangs, exactly. Um, even the technology being developed inside. And I think that's the only scary thing. But I think everything else is, it's never been easier to build a company. Technology is cheap. Capital is available. I mean, you can basically raise angel capital in every city in the UK by now. There's angels, you know, networks, there's people to support you, et cetera. It wasn't like that 10, 15 years ago. And I think that's fantastic. And that would be a tip you would give to budding entrepreneurs here at the Judge Entrepreneurship Centre. Basically, you're just saying go for it, aren't you? I am saying go for it, but I'm saying go for it on the right business model. And that's really important. A lot of investors will say, look, it's all about the team. I think it's really important to have the right team, but I think it's even more important to have the right business model. When you start a business, you're most likely going to commit to that business for 10 years. It's, there's a good old saying that says it takes 10 years to build an overnight success. A lot of people I find say, well, you know, I'm going to try this out. Well, the minute you hire people, you raise capital, you're stuck. Like you can't go and do something else. So you got to make sure up front that you've selected the right business model. That's my message to everyone that I meet. And yours build disruption inherently into them. I think a way to compete is to build some kind of disruption, right? Either you build a better product, you deliver that product in a better way, you offer it cheaper, you're better marketing. But I don't, like, a lot of things nowadays are becoming about AI and apps and technology. A lot of the business I'm building now offline, I'm, I'm really trying to convert from building businesses where I have to raise capital to building businesses that make money. I think making money is the new black. And I think it's going to become even more than new black as we look forward to the next financial crisis. So what you're saying is actually quite revolutionary because you're not investing in all these IT companies, which still, whether it's Twitter or, or Facebook, took a long time or are taking a long time to reap a profit, despite the fact they've got billions of users. So what? And do you then those are the winners. Those are the winners, right? We're, and then we forgot all the people who lost. I mean, think about for Zalando and Asus and Amazon to have succeeded. Think about the hundreds of thousands of e-commerce companies that have failed. And I think the more talent goes towards technology, AI, cryptocurrencies, machine learning, the more I'm saying that's really tough place to win. I want to go where, honestly, the talent is not. I want to go where it's easier to compete. That, the local garage. <laughs> Maybe the local garage, exactly. Why not? Maybe car wash, who knows? Yeah. But just a final question. You've given of your time generously to the Judge Entrepreneurship Centre podcast series today. But have you got a favourite company? You've got a, a clutch of company, a nest of them. But do you kind of think that the one you're, you've most recently set up is the one you give your energy and love to? Dare I mention the word love? You, you, you definitely dare mention the word love. I mean, it, it is a cliche, but it's, you know, cliches are usually cliches because they're true, right? And I think the love is probably the closest word to the right, you know, to the right thing. I really do love the people that I spend time with. I can be tough. I can expect a lot from them. I can be mad sometimes, but I really enjoy the people who spend time with and the companies that we build. And to answer your question, I don't think there is one company that I'm more in love with than others. I think they hit me on different parts. We build these financial comparison businesses around the world, which I love because we're making a difference. We're trying to create transparency in the financial services market. We're trying to help consumers save money, get better coverage, etc. But honestly, I also love, for example, the 
restaurants that we have where we can actually look customers in the eye or the conference that we own where I can actually see my customers because I'm so used to building digital businesses where I never see my customers. Now I can actually see them, which I love as well. So I think I'm in love with some part of it. We own a recruiting agency where I help people to find their next job where maybe they'll meet their wife or husband or something. I love that as well. So I think every part of the business I build, I have to have a part that I love because I know that there's going to be good days, but there's going to be even more bad days. And in those bad days, the love is what carries you on when things look really grim. But you're almost in that time machine of going back to the future, aren't you? In the sense that you like to eyeball your customers. Yeah, I, I really like to. And I think I think one of the concepts I'm going to talk about today in the speech that I'm going to give at the university is, look... If you take, and I use this in every speech that I give, I always say, what do you call, and I'm going to ask you now, what do you call the person who sold back in the day milk door to door? What would you call a guy like that? Just sold milk. A milkman. Milkman, exactly, right? Not woman. (laughs) Milkman, milkwoman. Let's assume he had a store and he just sold milk and nothing else but milk. What would you call him then? A retailer. Yeah, or just a milkman, right? I mean, he's still a milkman. So if he now sold milk over the phone, you would still call him a milkman. What if he sold milk online? Then he's a disruptor, internet entrepreneur, all this kind of stuff. And it's so typical. People think they're internet entrepreneurs because they build things online. I always say to people, there's only one internet entrepreneur in the world. He invented the internet. So when people come to me and say, I'm an internet entrepreneur, I say, wow, did you invent the internet? Because the internet is not. The internet is a platform for which you can sometimes market your products. You can sometimes distribute your products or services if they're not physical. You can communicate with customers. You can you know, create a presence. You can do a lot of things, but it's not your business model. It can be part of your distribution strategy or other things. And I think that same thing goes for Amazon. Amazon is a good example of somebody who's realized we're not an e-commerce platform. We're a platform. We're a retail company, which is why Amazon now have bookstores. They have now supermarkets. They have a bunch of other things. And so the same thing when I create a business, I don't think so much. And it has to be digital. It has to be not. I'm thinking about the consumer demand that I'm trying to fulfill. And then thinking about all the ways that I can fulfill that consumer demand in the best way. Can we look to the future? Any tips if people aren't going to aspire to be internet entrepreneurs? What could we call them? Well, entrepreneurs, again, I don't think there is such a thing as internet entrepreneurs. I think internet entrepreneurs are the people who invent the internet. Everybody else are just entrepreneurs. But I think the entrepreneur world is so overused. Like, I hate people come to me and say, are you building a startup or are you doing a project? I always say, we don't build startups, we build companies. And the difference between me is a startup is something small, it's temporary, projects even more temporary. If you want to build a company, it's going to be here now and it's going to be here in the future. And that's what we try to build. So don't become an entrepreneur because it's fancy. Don't go into this fad of it sounds cool and everybody has to be an entrepreneur and all this other kind of stuff, right? I think way too many people are becoming entrepreneurs. And I think it's great in many ways, but it's also a lot of people who are finding that they don't achieve the kind of success and have the kind of lifestyle they want to have. It's not a must to be an entrepreneur. And by the way, there's something called entrepreneur, where you're an entrepreneur in a company, which I think you definitely should be, which is create value in the company that you're working in. There are many parts of my life where I didn't have to be an entrepreneur. I could have worked in a business. I could have created value in those businesses that I worked in. I didn't have to end up here. And I think a lot of people are making it sound more beautiful than it is to be an entrepreneur. Because being an entrepreneur, honestly, they're underpaid. They get 70% of the salary of a a full-time employee on average on the same role background. It's a scary life. You overwork. You're nervous all the time. You may fail, etc. But all my concept is... Try to create massive value. And if you're an entrepreneur, an intrapreneur, an employee, it doesn't matter if you work in a university, it doesn't matter. Just create massive value to the world. And believe in what you do. And believe in what you do. Mads, thank you very much indeed for talking to the Cambridge Judge Entrepreneurship Centre podcast series today. Thank you for having me.